está soldado. Hemos visitado 11 países. Welcome to episode three of BitSesh on Unconfirmed Transactions. My guest today is DJ Skrilla. All right, say hi, DJ Skrilla. Just to be clear, it's DJ J Skrilla, and hi. Hello, everybody. Whoa, we're going to start yeah. off like that. Yeah, 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 you know it. <laughs> <laughs> everybody always wants to get rid of the extra J in there. The J is for Jeff. All right, Sorry. Jeff. DJ J Skrilla. My mom would very, be very upset if you forgot the J. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. All right. Let me let me commit that to memory. Let me do like those mnemonic tricks where you repeat it three times and carve it on your forehead. Uh, okay, 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 okay. DJ J Skrilla on episode three of A Confirmed Transactions miniseries bit sesh. Welcome. Um now, the thing about you is, <laughs> and this is um, interesting to me, but I, DJ Pepe was on my radar before DJ J. Skrilla. <laughs> yeah. How, how does it feel to be in the shadow like that? Is it tough for you to overcome that? No, no. It's uh, it's perfect transition from me from the real world to the, to the fake world. And... Um, this is for the audience that doesn't know who you are. I'm gonna just kind of talk about some of the things you do. So, you co-host Art on the Blockchain podcast. I'll drop a link to that below with Cynthia Gayton. You manage DJ Pepe. You made mm-hmm. some of the very early Pepe's too. I know some of the early season Pepe's were yours. Mm-hmm. You um, you're a collector of digitally rare art, which is cool, and you also you also produce it. Um, and that's kind of what you do in the blockchain industry. Um, but you also have a long career in the music industry. So mm-hmm. you kind of have spanned both um, in a very, I think, unique way. So it gives you just this perspective that I think a lot of people don't have. Can we go into your music industry background? Because I don't think that's been highlighted much in the, the content I've heard about you. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. Nobody cares about the music industry experience. <laughs> But uh, so, like, how did you get into producing music, making music? Because, you know, you start off as a listener, obviously. But how mm-hmm. do you make that transition to where you start, like, you know, wanting to, to produce and make stuff? Well, so I started DJing in the um, mid-90s. Uh, and back then, especially, I don't know if it's just true now, but back then, to be... Like when you were a DJ, you um, it cost a lot of money. Like you were kind of like the the guy of your friends sometimes that usually probably had the crib and the music set up and all that stuff. And uh, so like it cost a lot of money to have like equipment. It cost a lot of money to buy records. It cost you know it, you had to have some money. So um, and I didn't have money, but I worked at a record store and I um, worked there one day a week for four hours a week at Tower Records, RIP, to um, get a discount on records. So I was always getting records and getting, you know, vinyl. And you know, I, I became obsessed with being a DJ and a, more in the line of turntablism and scratching and beat juggling and stuff like that. So that was kind of like my early entry into music, uh, just kind of going to clubs, seeing the DJs. And I thought it was cool. Um, I was always into music. So I got into that. And then, um, but the actual scratching and the mixing and the stuff like that is what really kind of what I went OCD on. And uh, from that, you know, back then, I think the mentality of getting back to what I was saying is that you go from DJ to producer. That was like the thing. But nowadays, you can just go straight to producer because you don't need the equipment. You don't need the money. You don't need the records. You don't need all the samples. You don't need the drum breaks. You don't need all that stuff. But at a different time for me, um, you couldn't do that back then. You couldn't just really, unless you had rich parents, you couldn't just be a producer. Um, so like back then, that's kind of how you kind of came up through the ranks, kind of, I think, through the DJ and circuit to become a producer. That's like interesting. Pete, Pete Rock, DJ Premier, Alchemist, any of these guys. That's pretty much how people did it. Even the house DJs. I mean, it wasn't just hip hop. So so you, you can't be a producer without the gear. You can't afford the gear without being a DJ or, or doing some hustle. Where I mean, I, yeah, like 
it, I'm a hipster. Nowadays, so. <laughs> yeah, nowadays you just need a computer and a, you know a da free download, and you can be a producer. It's just changed a lot. You know, it's kind of like I, I guess all arts. I'm an arts guy. That, like I'm just besides music, art, you know, writing, history, I like it all. And uh, I think all arts have been apt out over the past ten or fifteen years. What I went to school for, for for I was a graphic design major. All that has been apt out. Like the, what I learned in that school is like like the basis of what you start at now. You know what I mean? Because it's all like wrapped up for you in the app already. Um, same thing with a lot of art. Same thing with a lot of music programs. And so it's a lot less. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess like you know now with the internet too, you can explore things and find out what you like and meet people that way. But you know back then with in, before like that was before the internet even like or the, before the internet was major and. Uh, you just couldn't get into music production unless like that was like what you were into. You were into the culture. You were going out to the clubs. You understood what was going on or you were going to the parties or the open mics or, you know, nowadays you don't have to do that. You can literally become a, a bedroom producer and become famous and rich and not experience any of the cultural phenomenons of that or any of the money or any of that stuff that it costs to start up. I'm a, so I'm in hipster Brooklyn and I got a little record player. Uh, mm -hmm. I went to a record store the other day and it was so unusual to me, but this guy walked in with a milk crate of records that he had, that he was like selling to the record store owner. The guy's mm -hmm. going through and the guy leaves. And then the record store owner is there with another record store owner. And they're like discussing like what they know about this guy, like, you know, what he's known for finding, like the quality yeah. he can source. And I was just like, this is so strange <laughs> to me. You know, it's like way too analog. Digging in the crates is like, that, yeah, that's like a, that's a perfect example. That's what that is. Analog kind of spending your past time just going to record store. I used to like drive up and down 95 and just stop at all the uh, flea markets and just go dig through their records. I mean, I did that for years or I'd order records just blindly on the Internet. Like as the late 90s and early 2000s, mid 2000s came like eBay and all that stuff. You just blindly order records on the internet like boxes of them from russia or japan or uh spain or some just somewhere where you're not you know you don't get your local antique shop soul records or gospel records or um i'm in canada right now private pr private press rock is a big thing up there. you know it's just different regions but now with the internet everything's become you know one world type thing so there's like the regions have like slowly started disappearing they're still out there but it's not like it used to be that's funny. It's like um, <laughs> just like buying like international music and not knowing what you're gonna get. It kind of it kind of makes me think of like you know searching for like uh, like the coins before they pamp kind of thing or like uh, yeah exactly kind of gambling a bit. It, it's got that kind of similar thing to it's it. Exact, dude. I wrote an article. Um, it's on my medium on my uh, writings post on my website, and it literally compares what record digging, digging in the crates, BITC. And I called my article "Digging in the Shitcoins" DITS. <laughs> it's the exact same thing, and I, I think I did an excellent job of comparing how, like, if you're a record producer, I think I spoke your language, um, in terms of like if you come from my era, where like you dig in the crates for records and stuff, like it, it's the exact same thing. So like, yeah, what you just said is spot on in my opinion. That's funny. Um... All right. So, do you remember your first gig? Like, when did you, when did you first perform? Or, um, like, is there a story there? Um, I mean, I've had it's like the gigs get bigger. I guess that's kind of the thing. I mean, a major gig I know that that etched in my mind is there's a rapper called Logic who's with Def Jam. He's probably like one of the number one selling. He was Grammy nominated, all that stuff, and I. Uh, I used to work with him before he blew up and uh, we did a show when he, when, after he got signed. Um, when he, I, I, used to, I, I had a record label. I employed a bunch of people and had a bunch of artists signed. And one of the record, one of the artists uh, was a guy named Lyricist, who at the time was like buzzing on all the MTV and Herb Top, all that stuff. And he was friends of Logic as well. And Logic um, invited us to perform with him when he came back to um, Maryland to do his like welcome home thing after Death Jam. He did back to back sold out nights, and uh, that was a crazy thing because it was just like hometown, all of us from 
DC area, Logic just kind of blew up, and uh, the at, the crowd was crazy. I mean, it was like anything I played, like it was all hands up, didn't matter. Like it was like the <laughs> easiest gig ever. Like, but it was cool because like, you know, like just being in front. You know, when you DJ for like anything over like five hundred or thousand people, like it's it's pretty uh, exhilarating. And do you can you even sleep after something like that? Like, how do you go from like that to like after the show? I mean, yeah, you're wired after stuff like that. So like when I was younger, you know, in DJing a lot in the DJ circuit, um, you, I would just come down by just doing, getting drunk and high and falling asleep. But uh, nowadays, you know, it's a little different. And then. Um... So I was creeping on your profile and it says here that some of the people that stuck out to me that you've worked with, and it would be interesting to hear if there's any, I don't know, anecdotes about either of them, but it says here you've worked with Cassidy. I know Cassidy through I'm a Hustler. That's like his big song, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's his breakout and, song. And, and uh, I mean, that dude's like real deal. Like he went, <laughs> he went to jail um, <laughs> for murder <laughs> and, uh, and Ray Kwan of Wu-Tang. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was, uh, working with a label back in like the late two thousands and, um, it was, a uh, the guys, it was rooftop records and the guy, DJP Cutta, he's the one that connected me with, uh, Cassidy. Um, I did that track. I made that beat in Atlanta and then, uh, I brought it up there and it was originally supposed to be for this, uh, the label rooftop records and he was doing like a compilation with and Cassidy was going to it was Cassidy and um what's the other guy on the record um god damn I can't remember the other guy it was the guy that was beefing with Drake though like a couple of years ago and uh yeah so that was that was kind of a industry uh roundhouse because it didn't come out on that label a label folded something happened and then Cassidy's people um, there was a weird thing going on where they wanted to get the sample that I used. It's a, nobody still, I don't think, has figured out that sample. And uh, they um, they were asking me where I got the sample. They were trying to recreate the beat and put it out on Cassidy's album underneath me, like basically like try to redo it. And it's so, like one of the DJs was hitting me up trying to get the sample. And I was like, nah, there was a lot of funny <laughs> business going on, right? So like, I was like, fuck this. And I put out a um, project in 2009 feature a lot of like big underground uh rap artists on it and so um that was one of my bigger records at the time that hadn't come out so i was like you know i'm going to put this joint on there so i put it on there and then all of a sudden i see that cassidy also put it out on his some kind of compilation for his label and then um so it's weird it's on itunes with two different record covers and uh you know you could buy the one that i put out or the one that cassidy put out um and even recently, like a year ago, I think their DJ asked me for that sample again. They were trying to do something. But I just don't, I've never given up my sample sorts. It's like, you gotta, we gotta have like an agreement in place before anything like that happens. And like, there's always, the industry is shady. Like, there's so many times I've given a beat CD to somebody and somebody's jacked my beat or they added That's some interesting. 808 and a snare to it. And then it comes out on like uh, a project. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, especially it, in the it, mid in the mid 2000s it really like soured me so he's he's calling you and he's like yo open source this beat and you're like no that's proprietary pretty much yeah yeah that's amazing and like sam you know there's a lot of debate and like you, if you go through the history like hip-hop and sampling like you don't own a sample right um but producers like myself who live off digging on samples and that's not the only thing obviously but that's like the main butter that's like kind of getting an instrument that nobody else has when you find that sample that you can chop up or loop or whatever um you protect that like close to your heart like just back in the day when people dj they put little vinyl you put covers over your uh the part that, on the record that shows um the white label you put a white label patch over the label so that people would know what you were spinning it's the same idea like that's kind of like the DJ is supposed to be, you know, there's DJs at rock parties and there's DJs that kind of educate you in rock parties. And those are the ones that would usually cover up the labels because they don't want you to then, you know, all the DJs hanging around to try to find the um, record that you're spinning and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, well, so thanks, thanks for sharing some of that. Cause I, that, I mean, 
what I like to do on these these bit sessions is I like to kind of check out what the guest is into, what their history is, and just kind of yeah. let them shine on that for a second. So I really appreciate some of those stories. I think the people listening to it will too. So, but let's talk yeah, the, more the, 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 to, to the Raekwon thing, though. I never oh, met yeah. Raekwon. That was just uh, that was, the artist was signed to Ray's label, and uh, his brother was our manager, and so that was a, we we went on a little tour with Ghostface during that time but uh ray did the verse i never met ray but just to be in the uh you know <laughs> just to be near <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah. It was in cool the universe Ghostface, man like i mean he was he wasn't like the coolest guy to us because <laughs> he was like superstar status but uh that was tight you dad do you you gotta kind of forgive some of that though like if you're superstar it's like oh, that's yeah, gonna yeah. Be some, something to somebody right no i understand it because there's like a thousand people every night trying to get something from me all right so but let's go, let's flash forward now to more what you're doing now so mm-hmm. i've been loving what you're doing with art on the blockchain you're putting together i think capturing like a slice of sort of like the zeitgeist right now that i don't think anyone else is doing so i really appreciate it on the blockchain for its for its focus on um crypto art um but the thing that i always think when i listen to it is like how the hell did DJ J Skrilla and Cynthia Gayton end up on a podcast <laughs> together? So how did you meet Cynthia and how did, how did you guys get to the point where you're podcasting? Yeah. So uh, I think that's like best dynamic of the podcast is that it's me and Cynthia, like total opposite worlds, but we get along really well. And uh, you're not the first person to ask that. Like basically uh, there's a meetup in DC or actually Arlington, Virginia, just outside of DC called government blockchain meetup. And I would, had gone to a couple of them, and uh, I actually, uh, the first one I went to, I showed people at the meeting, there's some Ethereum guy pumping some Ethereum product, and I, I kind of like trolled him out of there, and like, this wasn't the place where people went and trolled, I don't think, because like, everybody was looking at me funny, and like, everybody's wearing suits, this is like government blockchain, it wasn't like a Bitcoin meetup, and uh, I, <laughs> so like, I, I kind of had a, I was kind of just trolling them and I was like, like I was showing them XCP and showing them how, you know, to care. I was showing them all these apps that are going on in 2016 that were early still on um, book of orbs and all that stuff. And they were just all blown away. Like they had no idea like this was going on. So like they invited me to come speak at the January event uh, about art and blockchain and assets, creating assets uh, and tokens. And um, I mean, I was only like, probably made my first, asset maybe like five months prior to that using xcp so i wasn't an expert at all um but i went and did a presentation cynthia presented um ip law on the blockchain kind of like it was like an art we kind of took over as like an art thing on the government blockchain and it was literally their biggest meetup all that stuff but the organizers i don't think liked us uh presenting like art on the blockchain i don't know why but it it was kind of weird i never went back again um but we uh we met up and uh through that we just we, we started building for some like the guy that ran the meetup also was doing some kind of government grant stuff and he was picking our brain picking my brain picking sasha or picking uh cynthia's brain and um cynthia for the law and mine because i experienced in the uh, stuff and these guys none, none of the people there really had experience and i was surprised that i literally had five months i didn't have much experience either but they're picking our brain. It all fell through, but then me and Cynthia kept burning on. And the day that we did that meetup in January, we were like, you know, we should do a podcast. And uh, we didn't start it, I don't think, till March. But that's when that's when the the oats were sown in January two thousand seventeen. Nice. Yeah. Um. So I have a few phone calls uh, on the voicemail that I think are relevant to our chat. So let's um. Let's take the first call. This one is from a bit in a non bitcoiner um, and they must be some sort of tech expert because they spoofed the government agency's phone number. But uh, <laughs> and it's and uh, it's it's I'm gonna I'm gonna play it for you now. Okay. Hi, I just wanted to voice the concerns of the community as a whole here. I think there has been a lot of anxiety, especially in the Bitcoin Telegram chat room. Not only regarding the mysterious circumstances surrounding rigor, but also I think we are all wondering really 
Where has DJJ Skrilla been? So maybe you could speak directly to that. <laughs> Were you able to hear that? Yeah, that sounded like that uh, that meme that with the guy holding his fist, Arthur or whatever. You know what I'm talking uh, about? I, I don't know, but where the guy gets angry. They uh, they're an expert in their. Uh, I guess their privacy is really dear to them. Yeah, that was pretty um, good. I don't know. Um, Rigger is uh, working hard, so he's he's left Telegram. Uh, Bitcoiners actually scared him off Telegram. I'm definitely not Rigger. And um, I have not disappeared from the Bitcoin chat, but I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know. I just I, I was focusing on my music thing. I just I've kind of been off Telegram, not so much lately. Um, didn't you make a didn't you make Wheeler an admin recently? I did make Wheeler an admin, but Wheeler unadmined himself after a day. <laughs> Because he said it, the power was going to his head. That's pretty funny. He was deleting all my messages. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying to give away all my Bitcoin. Yeah, I still got to make a quarantine clan card for our group. I, I got the uh, the asset name. I haven't made it, though. All right, let me... Uh, I got another voicemail here. And then we'll go back to sort of like not the voicemail. But uh, mm-hmm. let's see here. This is a weird one because I don't know if it's for me or for you, but uh, let's 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 hear it. Oh, hello, hey man, I I just had a question, man. Like like who cut your hair? And that's all, man. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the quality of the call-ins I'm getting. Uh, oh, I mean, man. I don't think it's that. That doesn't sound like a question for me because nobody cuts my hair. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> no one cuts my hair either. My yeah. hair's like down to my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the answer across the board is nada. Uh, or wait, not nada. The more, what would it be? Nadie? Uh, no. Yo, I'm, I'm actually not cutting my hair until my barber gets out of jail. What? <laughs> yeah. I haven't gotten a haircut since he got locked up. Wow. Solidarity. That's called loyalty. That's blockchain yeah. loyalty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so let's talk about um, so the website that you kind of collect all what you're doing at is rareskrilla.com. Link yeah. in the description below. What yeah. are you doing with Rare Skrilla? Is that just a catch-all, or do you have a vision for that, or speak to that? Yeah, so I was noticing last year as I was putting together things and trying to send out just press stuff to a couple people that all my shit was all over the place. I've been, I had some projects come out on labels. I had my own record label. I did this, that, I had a bunch of different social medias. You know, I had my shit everywhere. So I was like, I just need, and I had, before I had a, a record label for 10 years that, like, any, you know, if you want to find out stuff about me, you just go there, easy. But I didn't have that. So I just created a rare Skrilla where I kind of put, you know, older I get, more artsy fartsy, I guess I get. And I just want to, you know, I do music, but I do art, I do writing, I do a little bit of the teaching of the, Art on the blockchain basics. Um, so I kind of just want to put all that in one place. Also, the podcast and um, people confuse me, like you said at the beginning, with DJ Pepe and myself. And um, so I wanted to make sure I had a DJ Pepe page. Like, hopefully, people can go there and realize that that's not me because I've had people write articles about DJ Pepe, put my picture. I've had people call me DJ Pepe. Um, during the Creative Tech Week thing in New York, they referred to me as. I think DJ J Skrilla Ventura, DJ Pepe. Like they put all my alias <laughs> one word so they couldn't fuck it up. <laughs> and I, yo, shout out to Isabel and Creative Tech Week. It was awesome. I just want to be clear. DJ Pepe is somebody I manage. He's a Bitcoin meme. He's very aggressive and alpha. I am DJ J Skrilla, washed record producer and blockchain enthusiast. I know. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you're DJ J Skrilla, but I noticed it's just rare Skrilla. It's not rare J Skrilla. What's your mom think about that? I feel like maybe you kind of let her down a little bit there, leaving the J out. Yeah, I haven't sent her to that website yet. I'm not making me feel guilty now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on, hold on. My phone, my my hotline's ringing. I got a, I got a new voicemail right off the hot press. Hold on. This is Theo Goodman from DJNBet.com. 
want to remind everyone that the NFL season is just around the corner. That's right. It's football time, college football too. And if you're wondering how you can get some action on the games, then you can check out dgenbet.com for all the info you need to get full DGen on the games. That is dgenbet.com. You can also check sports betters worldwide, t.me slash sportsbet. That is the Telegram channel at sportsbet. That's right. Let's do this. All right. So just so just so we're clear, everyone, that if you're if you're calling in, it's not the ad line. It's for questions and content. <laughs> okay. So maybe maybe we can chill on the ads. Thank you, Theo. Um, so where were we? Um, I think what's go one do- of the things. That, pardon. No, I was gonna say go Dolphins based on that that last one. Some of the things that you do that are interesting with Counterparty and your the whole uh, meme space is you kind of do what I see you doing is sort of take you take like a show promoter mentality to some of this thing where you did for example can't smoke a Bitcoin which is like yeah. you took you made a song and then mm-hmm. you created a token and then if people shared the song they would get the token yeah um, and so it. it or how do you view that? Maybe I'm not viewing it the way it's like intended, but it, it's got, it, I, I feel like I can see your background in the way that you make some of these projects. Um, I don't know exactly the question, uh, but yeah, that was a proof of share token. So I just experimenting with counterparty uses. Yeah. Um, emoji. You're um, you're um you're breaking up a lot. Oh, sorry. Yeah, emoji Nakamoto. You hear me? I can hear you now. All right. Yeah, emoji Nakamoto helped me out with that video. Um, and we made a proof of share token. Um, and basically, it costs fifty dollars on Twitter to do a promotion campaign. So we kind of tested it out. Um. For $50, I think I got, I got to look at the numbers exactly, but it was only like 80 impressions or something like that to go to the video, which is a terrible uh, use of money, right? Um, When I did the proof of share token, though, and did it that way, uh, it cost me like $1.40 in transaction fees. And I think I sent off like 60 some tokens to people that shared it on Twitter. So Anybody who shared the video during those first couple of weeks on Twitter got a can't smoke a Bitcoin uh, token. And it's really, it's not worth anything. It's just like a blockchain trophy to show that you participated in what I believe is the first proof of share token. So hopefully we can expand on that. I think Emoji had uh, an idea for expanding on that where it's more um, uh, automated. But because like what I had to do, what me and him had to do was collect you know, every, all these people's XCP addresses to do this. And it was, it was, uh, it was a bit tedious. So even though I did save a little bit of money, it was a little bit tedious in terms of, you know, having to manually send all those, those, uh, Bitcoin or those tokens out, which is why I'm very pro, um, the SIP, the CIP that is in for counterparty, which is like a one, one hit button and it distributes the tokens to many addresses at once. So I'm looking forward to seeing that come into development. Cool. Uh, I got, I got a man, my phone, the thing is I'm on my phone doing this and my phone just keeps blowing up. I have to, I have to play this voicemail or else my, my phone will just keep buzzing. It's gonna, it's gonna piss okay. me off. So, all right, I'm gonna play it. All right. This is your chance to have a look at the next level of blockchain technology. Check out the website, Theo's, Dot gallery. Forget GMT standard time. We're on Theo's time now. Theo's dot gallery. Motherfucking Theo's. The line <laughs> is not for ads. <laughs> yeah. Son of a bitch. All right. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I I, I don't want to disrespect your time. And it's it's your time. It's not Theo's time. Um. So we talked about can't smoke a Bitcoin and, and maybe you'll do something else with uh, emoji. Or is that what you're saying? Yeah. So 
I'm working on these like little audible memes is what I'm calling them. And they're just uh, song memes basically. So, you know, they, they do what, what I'm hoping that they do is they'll do a vision. They'll take the meme that we know of now that we're all using and kind of go to the next level where it's visual and audio um, memes. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, I guess I, I'm not going to replace what memes are, obviously, but it's just another kind of iteration of that, I guess. I'm just trying to use my uh, musical know-how and give my own spin on some of this blockchain commentary. Well, actually, what's what's interesting, too, is um, in regards to, like, uh, the different mediums is you – so you did the video, music video. Mm-hmm. comes with a token if you share it. But you also did something on Super Rare, which was sort of like um, it was like mm-hmm. a a GIF of the similar concept. But it so you like to. It seems like what's interesting about the way your work is like you like to iterate, sort of on like yeah, you kind of like to carry characters and themes through to different mediums and and different like ideas you have. So um, mm-hmm. I guess it's not a question, but how what's the experience of Super Rare? So because you've done that and you also did clockwork on there and similarly to what i was just saying clockwork is a rare pepe that you made but you also put it uh the original or something like that on super rare so speak to that yeah so um i did two the first was a can't smoke a bitcoin it's a five print digital print series that um there's two left i think or they're, they're they're constantly being traded i guess in super rare i sold three of those and then uh the other one clockwork pepe is a Pepe I was commissioned to do by Buddha. And um, I did that for him. So that was his card. And um, what I did by putting it on Super Rare is I just took the original drawing I did and I, I kind of animated it and I just made it a one of one. So basically kind of like trying to do another way of selling that original piece. But it's a one of one exclusive. So I kind of look at that as like you really own the original piece. And then the Pepe is like a print of that piece. Hmm. So that's what uh, that one is. And uh, yeah, I, I animated on a trip on an airplane home one day and it took like five hours just because I didn't plan on animating it. So I just took my drawing and I was just sitting there like moving stuff around on the Photoshop, if that makes sense, and trying to like just freestyle it. So cool. I think it worked out all right. So, but so, what's. The th- you you mentioned at the beginning that you went to school originally for digital art. I didn't know that about you, but they also knowing that makes more sense now. Because um, mm-hmm. if if you think that okay, DJJ Skrilla is just a DJ, well, it's it's weird that he's doing something something outside of music. It's actually you. Would you consider yourself an artist? Yeah, definitely. And when you and do you is that a term that you kind of grew into or cause I always feel like the, the saying like I'm an artist is something that is people, you got to earn that kind of thing. It feels like to me. And so when do you feel like, or like, how did you take that on? Or is it something that like something happened in your life where you're like, okay, now I feel like I'm, I'm, was it when you made your first money selling art or something like that? Or. I will, I guess like it, art, when I think of artists, I don't just think of draw and paint. Like I think of, like the arts. So like that would be DJing and music for me. And yeah, when I started being in demand for selling beats or DJing and stuff like that, then um, I felt that I would had earned the right to definitely be an artist. Um, as far as the, the drawing stuff, um, I actually, my first published art was when I was five years old in the Miami Herald. And, uh, but it was, you know, I was five years old, so it wasn't very good, but I didn't do any more art really after high school i did you know in college i went to it for a little bit but i was, I was really focused on djing by that time so like i stopped doing drawing stuff and all that for many many years and then i picked it back up when my son was young and teaching him how to draw and i just kind of picked it back up so like maybe like the last four or five years i've been into that type of art and then i didn't really consider myself a crypto artist or even an artist of that capacity until I realized like this, how the space started growing and that I had contributed a bunch of stuff, you know, that, you know, shit, I might as well be an artist in this space as well. Um, 
people are buying my art. So I guess. No, it makes total sense. It's just, I think it's a, it's a hard question to ask, but I think yeah. uh, I, I ask it because, because I think it's, it's a really interesting. It's concept. a fair question for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. how do you, like, what is art even? I mean, yeah. I, I feel like coders and all that, that stuff are artists as well. Like you're, I guess, you know, fucking fashion is art. There's like a lot of art, different arts, I guess. So My, even like, I, even the guy from uh, Paris Review that wrote about the digital art fest, he called DJ Pepe the first, and I don't necessarily agree with this, but he called DJ Pepe the first blockchain performance artist. Um, and that's when I, I didn't even think of it along those lines that that's what I was doing, but I guess that's what I was doing. But, you know, I, I would, I would definitely say like Chris and John Seth and people like that were definitely doing wild shit with blockchain and video prior. Interesting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought you would, uh, I wasn't, I didn't think that was where you were going that, that, but doesn't, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go back to the phone line. I'm going to, I'm going to give Theo a second chance. He's <laughs> third chance. a third chance. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Are you prepared? It could be bad. Let's see. Hopefully it's not an ad. If you were going to fight in a boxing match, <laughs> MMA, kickboxing, or any other professional fight, what would be your walkout song? Wow. I think Theo actually asked a good question for you. That's and it good. wasn't an ad. So mm. if you were to be in a boxing match or an MMA match and you had to come out, what would Damn. your intro music be? It's hard body right there. Um, uh, I would probably come out of some... I don't know what I would come out to offhand. <laughs> it's, it's a like, tough it one yeah it's like asking a, it's like asking a musician what his favorite song is <laughs> yeah it's like always different moods and stuff part of me wants to say like some some from like public enemy or bomb squad or beastie boys or part of me wants to say like alchemist or the wolf music library records or, i don't know and what, and what do you think about if dj pepe was gonna come out and it was like wwe oh. cage match and uh he's got like fireworks behind him What's he coming out to? <laughs> he probably kind of like DMX or something. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, where my fro- I, where my frogs at? I would probably come out to "Ball with the Ball" by Kid Rock. <laughs> That's appropriate. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, a question I want to hear you kind of like muse on is um, when we think about memes, um, I guess we can agree that memes are not new. Like memes are like, it's just a, a, a word to describe like a human phenomenon, but it mm-hmm. seems like it might be like, as we go forward in time, we might look back and it seems like memes are now diff- like divided in time. And there's like, pre-tokenization and post-tokenization is this fair or do you think this is too soon to call i don't think enough people know about tokenization and so like there's only like three or four hundred of us i feel like still in this world that are like even talking about this do you feel like that or do you feel like there's more no i think um i've been thinking that for a long time even in like 2014 i thought that i think it's like uh there's like diehards versus casuals sort of thing. So the, depending on where the price is, uh, yeah. the, you'll see like the meetups thin out. And if you like start counting heads in terms of like who shows up regularly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's definitely, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, we oh. wouldn't fill any stadiums. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, I feel like we're all just like talking to a group of like three or 400 people with a few, maybe extra a hundred to a thousand people like tuning in and out every once in a while. I'm talking about with, with the crypto art and then more specifically with the memes. And I don't mean that to be like, that's the, the ceiling of it at all. But sometimes I think we get gassed up a little bit on like the market caps and what we're all, but how this, because we're, we're all me and you, especially we're in the scene. And, but it's not, it, people aren't like, people are make memes like 4chan and fly. They're not thinking about tokenizing their memes. I think like, 
you know, they, they, but I guess there are phenomenons where like, you know, they have sold on eBay and they've done, they have thought about uh, monetizing their memes. So there is that too, but I, you know, I think we're in a pr pretty special niche place still. Do I think that memes will be monetized more in the mainstream or more than a couple hundred people doing it eventually? Um, maybe certain memes or certain events and that becomes something. I don't know. Like, you're not gonna just have all your all your memes like on the blockchain. That's not even. You can't do that. So. Yeah, but, you know, I, I have a I have a theory that uh, in general, in any community or like scene, as you called it, um, something like one percent or less, maybe half a percent of the participants are what I'll call like content generators. So if you think there's like three hundred or four hundred people interested in these things, that would suggest like there's like maybe thirty content creators. Or fifteen to thirty content creators. That's and and that to me, like in general, that maps. Or like if you look at any Telegram chat room, mm -hmm. if you look at the number of people in it, and then you really look yeah. at the number of people actually posting regularly, I yeah. find these numbers come up like pretty regularly. Yeah, that makes sense. I All think right. a lot of times too, those Telegram chats get inflated with numbers because people drop out, but like they don't take them out of the chats. Like because if you look on like a, a web like a desktop or like a mobile and different browsers, like it's different numbers all the time. Yeah, and I'm like always, when they I'm did always that, perplexed they did that, by the number of lurkers. And they did that purge recently, and I noticed like certain purges, like you'll look at like on my mobile app, and one of my groups will have like twenty five thousand people in it, but then you look on the on the desktop version, and it's like twenty five hundred. Weird. No, I haven't yeah. seen that. Yeah. The um, I find that the there's a lot of quality chat rooms on Telegram, but the the way to keep them like not not sucky is to keep them off any of these like lists. Yeah, yeah. You With keep the, the Bitcoin's just... one off. I have no idea if it's on any list, but I didn't add it to any list. Yeah. Okay. And uh, but we get we get bots now and then. Um, let me play another voicemail, and uh, and then I have a I have only a couple more questions here. All right. Yeah, cool. Would you like to know how it feels to be able to buy a Lambo? How about a Bentley? What about a spaceship that's going to fucking Mars? <laughs> then check out the website bitcointerrorist.com. Nope, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. All right, so Theo is on timeout. Theo is <laughs> yeah. wow. Is that a real website? I don't know. He he ever, he managed to get team. through. He managed to get through the spam filters and get three ads on this show. Um, <laughs> <sighs> I, Jeff, I'm sorry. I I I don't. This is not normal. I just I have I have a tape player in front of me and the red lights are on and I press play, and I'm sorry. <laughs> So it's all good. I'm I'm an early Theos uh, supporter anyway. Oh hell yeah! That, so, so um, well, I mean, going back to how you were actually an early rare Pepe guy, um, what's your take on Pepe vote? I mean, me and you and Dante and Need Money talked about a pre-release. Now it's released, and they've actually voted a few cards in. So, have you checked that out recently? I haven't. I haven't checked it out at all. Um, I don't know. I you know when I was in the we're at Pepe community and, and like late, you know, when it started, like, I think I was like within the first hundred people there, like in September of 2016, going all the way probably for like a year and maybe like the, when the uh, bubble started again in, in crypto, um, that chat was like the great, best telegram chat to me because it was like, it was a lot of good conversations and uh, a lot of like art and, blockchain discussion a lot of uh just you know early crypto art stuff people were really excited about it um it kind of like fell off to me though i don't really pay attention to the to the pepe chats too much anymore um i don't know what happened honestly I, I, but no i haven't i haven't checked out any of the uh 
any of this. What do you mean? What do, what do you mean you don't know what happened in terms of like how it fizzled a little bit? Is that what you mean? I think it fizzled a little bit. The main reason is because I don't know what the main reason. Well, I don't really know. I can't call it. I guess like a few different variables. I would say like just uh, the, a lot of different art projects now have popped up on blockchain. So you dilute the artists and the people caring about one project and it goes to many others. Because like when it was a Pepe chat, it was like uh, spells of Genesis and Rare Pepe. Um, that was it. And then it slowly moved on and then people started getting into crypto kitties. People started getting into Ethereum blockchain art stuff. Now you got the, the uh, Pepe's on Ethereum. You have actually a couple different Pepe's on Ethereum now. I uh, you got, there's there's more than Pepe Dot? Yeah, they got another another one that's like a Crypto Kitties Pepe where it creates Pepe's. I don't know if it's at, I'm in their ch chat. I don't know if it's in beta or alpha or what, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Bitcointerrorist.com. Like, <laughs> hold on, my, hold on. My voicemail seems to be malfunctioning. Hold on. Let me check my uh, let me check my board. Goodman from DGenBet.com here to bring you the latest on how you can get in I, on the NFL action. I don't know check what's happening. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me check this. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, I, I didn't press any buttons, so I'm not sure what's happening. Um, hey, so you brought up Ethereum, and um, you, so you have been to a number of different events, some counterparty specific, some Ethereum specific, and you have kind of – you've – you got different takes on the different communities. So you want to speak to that? Like, um, I mean, I know you got views on the counterparty community and, you know, what, what, could, what could be done better? What could be different? Uh, do you think it's just it's like... Just, it's just frustrating with the counterparty. Like, and I guess a lot of it just has to do with the fact that there's no money involved. Um, there's a ton of money involved in Ethereum. There's foundation, there's support groups and chat lines and big brother programs um with with bitcoin with the ex, well there's nothing with bitcoin really like that like there used to be but uh it's counterparty there's there's nothing like that so for somebody to want to be a developer on counterparty they have to want to do it um you know with ethereum i think they they just they'll pluck out the guys and like they did to the xcp block scan thing they took that whoever made that and they put it as ether scan and took down the XCP version of it. Yeah. Um, just stuff like that. Like you, you don't, if there's no re like XCP is organic. That's what I'll say. XCP, which I, the, what I feel like I come from that in my everyday life, I'm more of like organic type of person. So I like that. Ethereum is good too. You know, it's for people that are excited about blockchain that weren't around probably five years ago. I think, a lot of it has to do with that. Um, people are building a lot on Ethereum because you can write more code and stuff like that. With the with XCP, it's not so much like that. You got to kind of go with what the code you got or you got to be a developer and kind of push things along and it takes a long time to get anything done in an XCP. And there's a lot of drama in XCP with the developers in terms of, I don't know, maybe not as much as you but it seemed like there, there was a lot of drama in the um, early part of this year where people are just blaming each other why XCP was this and that. But at the end of the day, I think XCP is still is the easiest to use. It has the most, uh, you know, has the longest running, you know, crypto art blockchain type thing, I guess you could say. Um, and I just, uh, you know, I hope some of these CIPs get pushed through somehow. I hope that... Hope that somebody with some money can come to XCP and get some yeah. development going on it. Yeah, it's true. It's it's, it's harder to uh, when the ecosystem is smaller and there's not as much, I guess, like easy money. It does make mm -hmm. it harder to devote time to it. Yeah. When is that? Like, is that, with, you? With, with, that would, would you say that the marketing <laughs> of Bitcoin and Counterparty is? so decentral that it doesn't have one voice and even the marketing itself contradicts each other as opposed to the Ethereum marketing is more centralized and then it's easier to speak with one voice and people are just used to that kind of marketing. Is Theo on the call with us? 
Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you, you're familiar with double booking, right? You, you mean that happens sometimes, right? <laughs> that was good, huh? You like my tone here? Right. Ready? I'm... <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, you yeah. want to take that question? Um, I, I, what was? Can you paraphrase that real quick? It's just actually, I, I think that uh, I think it, it came up in a, some discussions on Twitter, and I, I think it makes sense. Like, you see, you got like Chris DeRose is talking about Bitcoin governance and mm-hmm. like the messaging of Bitcoin, but I think it has to do with all these art projects too, and the different communities. You know, it's all yeah. about like who who controls the messaging. You know who you know, where do new people go? Who, what, who, there's like a helpline and all that kind of stuff. And with Bitcoin, you know, there's just, it's, there's, just there's, <laughs> you it's, there's a lot of different factions and there's no real central one, which is good. But on the other hand, you get a lot of different messages about what Bitcoin is. And that also has yeah. to do with counterparty too. There's, and you have that in Ethereum. There's a few, there's about three main factions, but I think that the overall, you know, it has kind of like it's easier to understand for outsiders, I guess, like from a marketing point of view. You know, it has that like one kind of feeling to it. You know, that's how mm-hmm. that's I that's kind of no, what I've noticed I, I, lately. Yeah, I, I feel like there's not as many people coming into the space and there's more projects being developed and people coming in also. So also deleting it heavily. Um, there's literally like. I feel like in the last month, there's been like a hundred different uh, auction style blockchain Ethereum things that just happens. Like everybody's trying to yeah. be Codex now. Um, yeah, well, that happens with about every every trend. Yeah. I think you know. Also, uh, MetaMask MetaMask helps uh, in the sense that it makes it easy to launch a product. Now we're not getting sure. into the whole discussion about what it is technically and all that stuff. Yeah, from yeah. someone that doesn't understand the technical stuff, doesn't matter. From from they don't understand the crypto, they are not. They haven't asked themselves deep questions, or they don't care about all that. Then maybe it's just easier for them. Now, I mean, like you know, there's the thing like tokenly made something, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, these are like really old school idea. The the whole MetaMask yeah. concept is pretty old school. It's the pockets idea. idea. It's the pockets Pocket. idea exactly. It's just not developed out. Like you said, there's no money or the money that is there gets fought, fought over and it's just enough to kind of keep counterparty going. It's not really enough yeah. to, I don't know, do massive things like um, Ethereum because I guess people are just not willing to do pump out ICOs left and right or appeal to VCs or anything like that, which I totally get. Yeah, so, yeah I, I agree. Yeah. Um, you know what? You know what? kind of made, makes me a little funny in the pants is early in the day I was looking at music and blockchain stuff on the internet and I found this panel that South by Southwest is next year. They've already the, the registration closed and I was looking at it and they were voting on it and everything is consensus in Ethereum. Everything is consensus, consensus, consensus. So you look at the moderators, you look at the panel at Christmas. You mean, uh, you mean consensus systems? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Consensus right. with the No, no, just and, to be clear, because people get mixed up sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Ethereum Foundation consensus, Joe Lubin thing. And the Lubin, that's, that's right? That's the Lubin that, faction. Yeah, that's, the, that's, the, that's great that they have that. But what I'm saying is that it's also kind of unfortunate because everything that's going on right now in the crypto art world is all Ethereum and consensus based. Like, literally everything. Look around. There's anything you look well, they at. Have money. They're well, they have money. Well, they went all in on that. Parody yeah. hasn't. Parody is like another faction, like the Gavin Wood faction. They haven't really gone all in on it. Uh, but I'm trying to but what I'm saying is that they're, yeah. they're winning that that marketing war with that. Like, and that's you know that kind of sucks in my opinion because oh, that's not that's the only thing. I mean, well, what other markets have they quote won and what's happened? I mean, it's all oh, no, it's no, all no, experimental. When say, yeah, when I say one, I mean they're they're taking over. Like, there's no crypto art outside of Ethereum really, except for the rare Pepe's right. There's not much else going on. Mafia wars. And the Bitcoin's rare Pepe's are, are slow. Bitcoin's oh, and the Bitcoin. Sorry, yeah. Bitcoin is even more probably popping than rare Pepe right now. Mafia wars. Yeah. Uh, that's true. Yeah, totally. It, well, it's it. like you said. I mean, if you – well, I mean, I jokingly said it a few times, but it's pretty easy. You make a 
art project, what do you want to do? Do you want to do auctions? Do you want to do curation or do you want to do whatever? And then I don't know how many projects get money directly from consent system, but you can, you know, pitch it to them. And, and if yeah. it's decent, probably they would help you, you know, or, or if you promise to do an ICO and they get it, get to be the first people to do the pre, be a part of the pre-sale or whatever, however that works. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's just perplexing to me. I've never been in this technology yeah. space. And I guess where I come from, like my, it's probably just me being and fewer people like me, but just like taking ideas and running with somebody else's idea. Like, I guess that, that's a business thing, obviously, but I just, I'm not into it. Like that's just, it's bullshit to me. Like that, that's what's so scary. <laughs> that's what's so scary about releasing products on XCP using XCP. Cause I've been talking to Joe, like a couple of, yeah, you guys both know I'm working on this project and I'm trying to launch it, but we're trying to do it in a way that, <laughs> The minute it comes out, Ethereum's just gonna get two million dollars together, put it, throw it up, and market it, outmarket us, and we'll be fucked. Like, so I don't know how to overcome. Well, that. that's well, that is an issue with all startups, actually. You know, okay. because because you know, unless you patent things, which is a whole other discussion, yeah. lawyers on here or whatever. But you know, that's a that's a thing with all startups, because like the guy on the Shark Tank, um, I forgot his name, the guy that says you're worthless to me. Um, he is Mr. Wonderful. Exactly. Mr. Wonderful, whatever you think about him, he has a really good point because he says, look, I'm not going to give you money because as soon as your thing takes off, one of the big boys or big girls is going to come that does have a lot of money, copy your ass, and they're just going to blow you out of the water. And that's yeah. a problem with all product development in general. So, you know, he is all about, you know, patents and all that kind of stuff but that's kind of like you know the vc world so with well, crypto, kind of it's difficult it's open yeah. source you know what yeah. i mean it's like it's all about first mover and network power and all that stuff but yeah you right you're totally right you need money to to market that stuff to get a bunch of people doing it or maybe you just wash trade your own program i don't know you know you uh you know even a bunch of sock puppets is not going to work forever right right Hey, um, so obviously this is a nice discussion with you, JJJ Skrilla, but um, as you can see, my next guest is here. So if you could just kindly, you know, <laughs> uh, leave the stage, that'd be great. Hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question for Theo. That, that's cool. Sure. It, sure. You know, it just, you know, it's a time issue. Yeah, it's so if, you could just, if you could just yeah, see yourself it. out. That... Uh, ask no, it. no, no, you, you can, there's a phone number. Look, we have a time schedule that we need I to stick you, to. I got you. I and got you. so if you could just respectfully just get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> All right, y'all. Peace. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Todo está solo.